0: Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? You know, I have to confess, I love reading the Old Testament. The New is great. I know everyone thinks it's the best one. It has, you know, reasons for that. But the Old is full of stories and poems and songs, epic deeds and very strange miracles. There's a talking donkey. I mean, you can't beat that. Um... All of it is tied together beautifully, harmoniously, by God's acting in history. If someone says, why did we throw Esther in there, or why is the Song of Solomon in there? Well, it's about God acting in history, so it fit in. God speaks and acts in the pages of this book, and all of it leads to Jesus Christ. His birth, his death, his resurrection, all the things that he did and all the things that he started because of that. And before we get to Jesus, we see the history of his chosen people, the Jews, and their struggle to live in relationship with God. Um, We see an incredibly realistic portrayal um, of life and death and everything in between, and the honest struggles that people have following God. It is a very realistic and honest picture of human life. So just for that reason, I love the Old Testament. Elijah happens to be one of my favorite people in the Old Testament. Uh, He has this crazy moment on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. Um, Instead of giving a sermon to those prophets, he taunts them and makes fun of their God. And that just appeals to me. Uh, He is this prophet who's dealing with crazy idol worshipers. The whole country has gone over to worship Baal and Asherah. He's on the run most of his life. Um, The kingdom is corrupt. The queen actively hates him and basically promises to feed him to dogs if she gets a chance. Um, And he just goes through a ton, a ton of stuff, and yet he does these incredible miracles. He calls fire down from heaven. I haven't gotten to do that yet, so I read Elijah to try and figure out how exactly do you get in on that. Um, And on the flip side of that, he does all these incredible things. He also suffers from severe, severe depression um, at one point, he lies next to a tree and just says, God, it's enough. Just let me die. And that's after doing all this amazing ministry, after challenging hundreds of prophets, calling down fire, taunting a God. And he says, I'm just tired. And he asks God many times to kill him. And God says, no, you have to keep on going, have a snack, have a nap. Um, that's also the verse in the Old Testament where God tells his prophet to take a nap. And that makes me laugh also. Like I said, the Old Testament. You should read it. It's wonderful. Um, He's just this fiery, gigantic presence in the Old Testament. And then you get to his apprentice, and you kind of don't know what to expect. Their names are very similar. Um, Elisha continues his legacy. He also does very strange things. Um, He cures a well. He raises a kid from the dead. Um, He has a guy take a bath. I'm telling you, Old Testament. It's just bizarre. Um, He is bald, and he has a bit of a temper. If we read the rest of chapter 2, he immediately is called baldy by a group of little boys and gets furious about it. It's bizarre, but it's in our Bible. It's the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Um, (laughs) Both of them have these incredible sections in the Bible, and today's verses point us to this critical part in both of their stories and in their lives. And it all leads up to Elisha's big question, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Now, I do have to confess, I do have a problem in reading the Old Testament, but I've also found a solution, so here you go. Um, After a while, everyone talking in the Old Testament starts to sound like either Gandalf from Lord of the Rings or Charles Heston from the Ten Commandments movie. It's just this weird mix. Even the women start to look like they have beards. They're old men just kind of reciting things to me. And that's not ideal. You don't want that. Um, My imagination gets a little stuck in a rut, and I need help. Um, You just start to read the words on the page, and you're like, all right, that's it. And so my solution is a technique I actually stole from a podcast called The Bible Binge. Um, Most of the episodes are very good, but basically they just walk through stories of the Bible and discuss them. And their key unique thing is that they assign celebrities to Bible characters. So it's, it's interesting. I'll give you that. But if you will stretch with me a little today, I would like to assign roles to Elijah and Elisha. So if you've seen the cover of your bulletin, you may look there now if you need a visual refresher. Um, they let me put that on the cover of the bulletin. So hooray for that. Um, that would be Jerry Seinfeld, uh, the comedian playing Elijah. And George Costanza playing Elisha. Now, they don't fit 100%. If you read all the stories of Elijah and Elisha, they don't, to a T, fit those personalities. Uh, But visually, and on some character traits, I think it helps to be able to see them in these pages. Um, When Elijah makes fun of the prophets of Baal, that's gold. That's Jerry Seinfeld right there. Um, When Elisha gets furious for being taunted, for being bald. George Costanza. Um, If you've never seen Seinfeld, um, it's coming on Netflix soon, but go find it on Hulu as well, and just kind of get up to date. Um, If you like The Office or any of those kind of dry humor shows, it's it was made for people like us that just like that sort of humor. Um, And so these two men were two of the stars on that show, and it helps to see them. It adds texture to the page. It's not just two words just walking, going on a journey. Jerry and George are going on a journey. And they have these discussions, and this stuff happens, and you can picture them a little bit better. So our verses today, if you have your Bible, you can follow along. I'm just going to summarize. The two of them go for a walk. They both know the change is coming, and they cannot stop it. If you trace their geography, they go through hills and valleys. It's not just a short summer walk. It is a journey. Um, they go through some of the most famous places in Israel, places of idol worship, places of great spiritual success, um, and they're constantly met by what we call the sons of the prophets, and we're not really clear on these people's jobs, but they do know that something big is happening today, and they're constantly telling Elisha, hey, don't you know, today your master is leaving? And he says, I know, I know, be quiet, um, which is a very George thing to do if you want to show. Um, and he knows. The two of them have been inseparable. Elijah tries to get him to stay behind, and he says, I can't. You're my, my person. The show can't go on without the two of us together. We have to go forward. And so they continue their journey. Um, Elisha asks him for a double portion of his spirit, of everything that has made him a prophet. Um, Elijah kind of gives him this word. If you see me, then yes, God has granted this. But if not, sorry. Um... And they go there, they go to the river, they cross the Jordan um, by the power of Elijah's God, and the unthinkable happens. Elisha is left alone with his master's cloak, and he asks a very important question, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And honestly, when change happens like that, when giant life-changing change happens, Isn't that the question that we ask as well? Where is the Lord? Be it uncertainty or loss, even in the giant removal or the removal of a giant presence in our lives, when sin's consequences catch up to us in events out of our control, in confusion and sorrow, even in the loneliness of grief, and even in the boringness, the mundanity of life, We have this inevitable question, and even non-Christians ask this question. They'll say, where's your God now? We ask, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? We feel the ground shift beneath our feet, and we're not sure what's familiar, what's comfortable, what's normal anymore. Um, If we'll go back to pre-COVID, whatever that looked like, or pre-this or pre-that, we just have to keep moving forward. And we ask that question. It, It burns in our mind. Where, oh, where, is the Lord. You know, Seinfeld, the show that Jerry and George starred in, along with Elaine and Kramer, I didn't forget them, um, it was billed as the show about nothing. And they were very proud of this. Um, you could buy t shirts. Um, I read a thing that said on set they would often wear shirts that said the show about nothing, just to really hone in on the point. Um, and they had a rule for every episode. And the rule was this no hugging, no learning. And if you watch the show, there are no hugs, and they never actually change. The final episode of Seinfeld could be a beginning episode, the middle of the series, anything. They remain the same selfish, amazingly normal, and definitely hilarious people every single time the credits roll. That's the rule. you got to stick to it. And they were successful. The show was truly, truly about nothing. There was no plot, there was no story arcs, there wasn't a grand romantic, you know, will they get there together, will they not? It was just them living life. And so I want to make a claim that the show about nothing was actually about everything. It shows real life. It shows the interruptions, the weirdness, the strange little details that we just have to kind of accept and go with and just say, eh, okay. Okay. And that's life, waiting at the DMV, um, someone skipping ahead of you on your restaurant invitation, um, buying an ugly shirt and your friend's not telling you about it, Um, everything that happens in life, getting lost in a parking garage, that's my personal favorite, they get lost for 30 minutes in a parking garage. Um, That's not a story, that just happens in life. And Seinfeld showed us so well that life might be about nothing, but there's a lot of nothing there. As the characters move and exist in this world, they don't change, but everything changes around them. Um, They're just in a constant swirl of events and happenings and what is going on. So the nothing is life, and life itself is change. It's a series of changes that happen to us, and we respond to them, hopefully well, sometimes not, but that's life. That is the nothing So let's try this again. Elisha's question, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And the answer is that he is right here. At the end of our verses, it says, Elisha struck the water, the water parted, and Elisha went over. After this moment, this turning point, this massive change, Elisha is now called the man of God mantle has literally passed to him. The Lord is with him as he was with his master. He has inherited that double portion, and the next few chapters are his work in Israel, his miracles that he does that are attributed to him. The change has happened, and Elisha learns the answer. God was there the entire time. In the nothing, God is present and God is at work. His signs are all over this story, And they're all over our lives as well. God is here. He is the power of both Elijah and Elisha and of us. And he is the provider of those blessings. Elijah knew this and could not promise to his servant and his student, Oh, I'll give this to you because he knew that is God's to give. He knew that God was here. No matter where they traveled over hills and valleys, through idolatrous places, through places of great worship with God, through all the weird, boring, middle stuff in between, God was here. And God is peace and safety in our journeys. Elisha learns as he loses his mentor, his leader, and his friend that he has to learn how to walk with God on his own. And in the next few chapters, Elisha grows into that role. He is appointed to speak and act for God. And yes, he gets angry, he gets upset, he is called bald many times, and yet he still remains with God. And God is here with us. In the retirement of a beloved senior pastor, in all the crazy uncertainty of COVID, I don't know if you're exhausted about it, I am, it's ridiculous, but God is here in frustration and anxiety and in change that we do not know what is going to happen Even as we as a church wait for a new pastor, God is here. And all that nothing, quote unquote, nothing that is our entire lives, God has not changed, and he has not abandoned us, and he is not on vacation. We don't need to call him and worry about being on hold. God is here. I love that this God sent his son, and the first name we have for Jesus is not Jesus, like you would think, it is actually Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. His very name is a promise that God is here with us. And he lived and moved and loved amongst us on earth. And he stands at the right hand of God praying for us now. This Jesus died for us to cleanse us of our sins and bring us back into right relationship with God, to destroy any barrier that could get between us, between that closeness, that presence of God in our lives. It is this Jesus who rose from the dead, who conquered both sin and death forever, that we might have life forever with him. It is this Jesus who we call Lord, who said to his disciples in the middle of their storm, don't be afraid, I am here. It is this Jesus we put our trust in and in him alone and it is this Jesus who calls us, wherever we find ourselves in all the nothingness and all the strange changes of life, it is this Jesus who calls us to act and to move and to trust in him. And so I ask you one final time, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Amen.